just things happen when you treat people the way that God would treat them, when you see the potential in them that God created in them. And I, I think just when you love people and you're a good leader, you can, you can make an impact anywhere you're at. You don't have to be the biggest company in the world. There's people in your unique sphere of influence that you can touch in a way that other people just can't. Mm. And that's one of the things I love about business is because people spend more time at work than they do at church. And like you, you can do more creative things with people at work than you can in almost any area of their life. Mm. And, uh, it's just, it's such a powerful tool. If you view it as a missional, a missional tool for, for the Lord to work in. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Pay It Forward podcast. I am one of your hosts, Keegan Walls, and I am here with our co-host, Austin Seward. And today we're super excited to have our guest with us today. His name is Ben Stewart, and Ben is a mission-driven entrepreneur. He is the owner and founder of SCP. Was that right? You got it. Got it. Nailed got it. it. <laughs> the owner and the founder of SCP Supplement Manufacturing. Uh, so they're located in Southern Minnesota. They have a team of 35 people and two facilities. And then he's also the owner and co-founder of Favor Nutrition, which is another supplement brand. So yep. thank you, Ben, so much for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. It's really special to see this uh, this new podcast form. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, we're, we're super excited. Yeah. We've been... Uh, been trying to trying to get you on for for a while so yeah I'm excited that you were finally able to join us yeah i appreciate it thank you well why don't you start out just tell everybody tell the listeners um just about like where you are and yeah what it is your your two businesses and companies are doing yeah i'd love to so our core business scp we are a food and supplement manufacturer we have two plants in southern minnesota we're at about 36 team full-time team members across both plants um, basically what, you know, if you go into like a, a store or a supplement store today, uh, most supplement brands don't make their own products. They, they contract it out to a contract packager or a contract manufacturer like us. So they focus on selling and marketing their product. They rely on us to own all of the equipment, the facilities, have all the team members, um, the quality systems and the quality programs to be able to actually blend and package their products for them. Um, so we actually uh, started that just we're in our fifth year of business now. That's our core company. And then in addition to that, we also have our own supplement brand that we just got started this year, which is super exciting. Cool. It's called Favor Nutrition. We're starting off with a colostrum product. Uh, it's a colostrum powder. It's great for uh, gut health, immune boosting, uh, energy. It helps with your sleep. Just like the, the benefits are just endless. And really with, you think of like a, the very first superfood anyone ever gets is colostrum. And uh, it's one of the coolest things that God ever created. It's where we launched a brand around that that product. And we have one full-time brand manager. And the uh, so currently, like the majority of our business is manufacturing for other brands and partnering with them. And uh, long-term vision is we want to build out our own brands in addition to that. So that's that's the current business. I've never heard of col colostrum. Colostrum. It's the first milking from any mammal. So we get ours from cows, not really? from people. So it's it's the uh, it's basically like you know like the mother when when she has her baby. Or calf, or you know, whatever. It's uh, like the the first milking is packed with like the most antibodies and just all the all the things a baby needs to grow and thrive and be healthy. And uh, the, a lot of research over the last few years has really shown that taking colostrum as an adult actually helps you with your immune boosting, helps with digestion, helps with muscle recovery and energy, and just so many other things. And it's a uh, it's a new product. They they think it could be the potential like next collagen. We we see a lot of value in it. And we really wanted we like the idea of creating products that promote lean, healthy family life. So that's that's one our first one that we launched. It's doing fairly well and we're just uh we're experimenting with that. But our, our core business is manufacturing. Yeah. That's and awesome. That's yeah. a liquid that you drink? No, it's a powder. It's okay. a powder that you mix in with liquid. You can uh, shoot it straight in your mouth and just let it dissolve. You can let your your two year old son drink it with his coffee in the morning with Kagan. That's what <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. So yeah. You know, starting them young. It doesn't come out as powder. They've just Yeah. They have it in powder form. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so. a powder drink mix. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. Yeah, colostrum is awesome. It's like the never heard of it. Breast milk, but at the very beginning, it's like yeah, it's like yeah. The, the, the first milking. It's like the steroids of breast milk. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That that could be our next slogan. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll <laughs> go there. I'm a, I love that. Hey, I'm a professed genius marketer. I'm the only one who agrees with the statement. But, it's uh, obvious. Yeah. Feel free to. I love it. You can steal it and run with it. The steroid of breast. <laughs> the steroid of breast milk. <laughs> Then people like Austin go, oh, I get it. It's like super good. Yes. So, yes. I can attest. Awesome. Yeah. My, my, my son uh, or my wife just bought some mm -hmm. and uh, my son wants to be like dad every morning. He wants to drink his coffee. So 
His coffee consists of uh, <laughs> almond milk, a tiny dash of creamer, so it's sweet. And now he mixes the the, the colostrum in there. He mixes it up himself. We do a cheers down, and down the hatch. He's got his coffee. There we go. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that that's the business where we're at today. You know, we're just we're fairly new. We're in our fifth year of business. And uh, you know, when we when we started it, it obviously was not as substantial as it is today. We started very small and just kind of grew it over the last five years, adding more team members, more equipment, more customers, and it's just been a blast. That's awesome. How did, awesome. You, how did you decide, like, manufacturing? Like, I just feel like that's such, like, a rant, like, how do I get into manufacturing? Yeah, so. Know but, how to <laughs> actually do a manufacturing business, like. Right. Wow. Yeah, so for me, I kind of, I, I grew up in a similar business. Um, my dad was always an entrepreneur growing up as a kid. He he was more like the inventor type than he was, like, a, I would I would say, like, a, a highly successful businessman. He was very, very creative, always, like, looking to um, produce natural products and, um, you know, growing up, his plant was only like a couple blocks down the street from where we lived. So I was always like four years old, riding my bike over there. I remember one time they did a uh, news story on my dad's business and like my bicycle was like tipped over in the front doorway and it just like looked super sloppy, but that, that was just life. You know, we just always, you know, you want to be like your dad. And, um, you know, my, my dad, he was an entrepreneur his whole life. So that's, that's what I wanted to be. Um, but he also just, he had a lot of struggles, uh, financially. He, he filed bankruptcy before I was born and then he filed bankruptcy again, um, when it, just after high school and lost a lot of his, you know, foreclosed on all of his buildings and it was like constantly a roller coaster ride. So it, it may not be what you think with, you know, you think of people who own a business that it's successful and they're, you know, they have a, a kid's college fund saved up and it was not that way at all. You know, we grew up on a, a little, a little farm and a double wide manufactured home. And it just was, you know, things were always kind of hand to mouth, but it was, uh, that was, you know, I, ever since I was a kid, I just wanted to, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, uh, but my dad had a manufacturing business, so he made his own products. And then he also had like a little boutique kind of, uh, it wasn't really, I wouldn't call it a manufacturing business. It was, it had like a little plant and we were like hand filling a lot of stuff yeah. like coconut oil. And, and, uh, so I grew up in a, in a food production little plant, you know, making lotions for his business and also doing uh, contract work for other companies. And that's kind of how I got started with it. And, you know, I think that the, uh, the Lord just, you know, he provided opportunities within, within my family. And that's, that's where we just leverage that to, to grow and start this. Um, but, you know, for me, I actually, I struggled a lot, you know, in my early, you know, early childhood we grew up in a broken family. Um, one of my parents had an affair and, and just, uh, it, you know, left, left the family and it just, it, it created a lot of turmoil growing up, just an un, unstable kind of, uh, upbringing. But, you know, so we, you know, parents split up, my brother and I went with my dad and, um, you know, just through my early years, like I always loved like working hard and, you know, there was, we weren't farm kids, but there was a lot of our, like, it seemed like every one of our friends, I had a dairy farm or something. So we're always growing up, you know, milking cows, working outside. And, um, you know, we, we always had a paper route, always had something that we were hustling, trying to do on the side, like buying and selling cows. I, in high school, I learned that I just, I loved the idea of like buying and selling stuff. I was, uh, this was back in like 2007, 2008. But I, I discovered this was when Favre used to play for the Vikings, and it was like <laughs> the one year we were actually good, right? Yeah. Um, still never made the Super Bowl, but we uh, I, I learned about this website. <laughs> yeah. I'm outnumbered. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. The, the this is a Vikings we, podcast. <laughs> the fact that we didn't make the Super Bowl—that's a conspiracy theory. I know like, like, that right? game was rigged. The refs. It was rigged. Us. Yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> it, bringing up nightmares here, but yeah. that was a great year to sell Brett Favre jerseys for the Vikings. Yep. So. Mm. Um, I discovered this website called Alibaba and I yep. just started buying, I mean, it, this wasn't an Aussie, honest way to make money. It was buying, you know, anti-trademarked goods and selling them for cheaper. But I was a 15 year old kid. I wasn't following the Lord at the time. And I just, I just loved hustling the idea of like buying and selling stuff. So I'd buy all these jerseys for like 10 bucks a piece and flip them to my friends for like 50, you know, normally it costs like 80 bucks at yeah. the store. And we're like, man, this is, this is a great deal. Like my friends loved it. They're like, I don't, I don't care. Like this is cheaper than I could buy. And it's uh it was a lot of fun i started buying and selling stuff on ebay nothing to like write home about but just started like i mean just the thrill of checking your email in the beginning like in the middle of the school day i'm like man i sold two things today like yeah. you know uh you know yes it was a uh, a fake pair of nike shoes that would fall apart in two months and you know there was <laughs> there was some flaws in that business design but it was uh my friends loved it and it was just yeah just the thrill of that um success was was just a lot of fun for me and, uh, you know, l later in life, I actually, in, in, while I was still in high school, I kind of transi transitioned away from that. I, I uh, you know, grew up in a rural area. So, you know, I remember as a kid, I was always uh, gopher trapping with my dad. So we would, you know, go set traps in the ground and, 
and uh, you know catch catch the gophers, and then you would you would turn in the feet for like a couple of bucks, and that was always kind of interesting to me. I, I never like loved it, but we were um, my dad actually sold products at like farm trade shows. So when we were at farm trade shows, they had this one booth with um, this device called the Rotinator, and it was like a it was a device that would basically pump um, LP and oxygen into a gopher tunnel. And then it would have like a grill igniter, so it would ignite it. No way! <laughs> and uh, I was like, you know, twelve-year-old kids, like that is amazing. That's awesome. Who cares if it works? Like that's yeah. just so cool. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, and when I was fifteen years old, I saved up some money and bought one of those and started my own little business. I was like, man, what would be a genius, um, just you know, brand name for this new company? I thought Stewart's Go for Blasting. That's got <laughs> to be it. Super original. You know, I thought that's that's a million-dollar idea. So. We, uh, I launched that and, uh, you know, just, I had a minivan with like this little pull behind trailer, like the sketchiest thing ever, you know, pulling up to a farm, you never met anyone and 15 year old kid pops out and like, how can I go blow up your gophers? And <laughs> it was, uh, it was more fun than it was effective. Like there, there was a huge flaw in the design. The like gophers can smell really well. So like, you know, LP gas has like, they make it smell like rotten eggs. So of course when a gopher smells that they just like burrow away even further from the gas. So it. It, it was a it was a failed business model. I, I did a lot of work with it. I marketed it really well. It was like I remember buying and selling T-shirts at school with our brand name on it. I had like a stick of dynamite with the name the business name that is on so it. Cool. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty sweet. It was it was it did was. Did you get any gophers? Um, it's hard to say because they're they're under. You never know, right? You never you never know unless <laughs> there's like you're just like supposedly blowing them up. You're like supposedly. Blowing, <laughs> see, like in my mind, I thought like, oh, you blow them out and they'll like come out like you know like the whale hole at the top. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you think of like Caddyshack, and uh, <laughs> yeah, not exactly quite like that. I, that's exactly what I'm. Not thinking. quite like that. Basically, if there's no more gopher mounds the next day, you know, you kill them. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it, it was a it was a failed business model. I it was not successful. Like most, you know, farmers complain like this does not work at all. Like we paid you a lot of money, and it doesn't work. Like super embarrassing and humbling as a kid, especially after every kid in the sc- high school is wearing your t-shirts because you, right. you sold all the, yep. you know, marketed it so well. Um, but you know, I learned a lot. I actually ended up taking like most, if not all the money I ever had made on it and going back and just paying farmers back and like trying to at least, uh, repair, you know, some of the, some of the good, uh, I guess just, just trying to, trying to re- rectify the situation with those guys. And, you know, I ended up selling all the equipment, um, before I got out of high school. And that was just, you know, I, I learned a lot, wasn't successful with it, but it, it just, you know, taught me a lot about just the idea of, you know, going out and creating opportunity for yourself and, um, and it, it was, it was a blast. Don't get me wrong, but that's, you know, so that, those are like my first two business experiences. And then later in high school, it, so I wasn't, I, I grew up knowing the, the gospel message. I, I knew all the right things. I just like, I believed that God was real, but I did not have my faith in Christ. I just was not following Jesus at all. And, uh, I, I had more faith in my own way of doing things than what God was telling me to do. And, um, so unfortunately I was, I was super selfish. I just, I was trying to seek attention and you know, I got in a lot of trouble just for the sake of getting attention from people that honestly didn't really care. I just thought they did at the time. Um, you know, getting in, getting caught drinking in and out of jail constantly, in and out of programs. Um, I, I started selling drugs in high school to to all my friends, and I, you know, I had an entrepreneurial desire, and I, that was fun for me. But I just I didn't even didn't had no regard for how that was affecting other people. Um, I grew that and kept doing it even after high school and it, it, you know, got bigger and grander and not to glorify sin by any means, but just, uh, you know, I, uh, that basically led to me going in and out of jail on, on probation constantly, um, seeing a lot of just destroyed relationships and not to mention just, you know, like what that does to a community when you're that type of person enabling other people to sin like that. Um, you just, at the time I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but it was really just cause I didn't care. Um, and it wasn't until I was, you know, 21 through a series of events of a lot of people praying for me and, um, getting caught, experiencing the consequences of sin and, and really just seeing a bro like a life of brokenness leading, leading up to when I was 21. And, uh, I remember actually listening, I was listening to a lot of sermons. I was praying and, you know, I, I felt the Lord calling in my life, but I just didn't want to surrender the ways that the things that I held most dear, the things I idolized were money, um, and really just, you know, control and, and attention. And, uh, it was, you know, eventually through my friends getting caught and like drug busts and going in and out of jail and all these other things, I, I lost all my money, you know? So like, uh, eventually the Lord just kept on removing one thing at a time in my life, making it easier for me to surrender to him. And, uh, it was one night I was listening to a sermon by Craig Rochelle actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it was on the, it was on the parable of the, the seeds and the soils and just the, the, they were talking about, you know, the idea that you can hear the gospel message, you can 
you can listen, you can, but until you actually follow, you don't have a heart of good soil. And uh, I remembered like crying in my bed late at night listening to that, and I was like, "All right, Lord, like I'm, I'm done with this. Like I'm, I, I will go all in. Whatever you want me to do, I will do." And uh, at the time, I like, I didn't have any good friends. Like it was, you always hear growing up, like you are who you hang around with, and if you want to, you know, you're, you're the average of the five closest people that you hang out with, right? And um, you know, uh, bad company corrupts good character, and I. I did not have any friends that didn't smoke pot or drink every single weekend. And uh, I remember praying like, Lord, I don't even know who I'm going to hang out with. Am I going to sit in the closet or what am I going to do? Because I, I don't have any good influences. And I just prayed that the Lord would replace the relationships in my life with ones that um, could just encourage me and steer me in the right direction. And uh, that eventually through a series of, event, of events, that's, you know, that's, I saw transformation happen in my life. You know, I, I was changed the moment that I put my faith in Christ and really had that heart transformation, but I still had a lot of sin. And, and over the next couple of years, the Lord really took me through just a series of renewing my mind in so many ways and just redeeming my life and the relationships that were in it and, and just uh, making just completely different person than I was in high school and, and leading up to 21. And, uh, you know, during that time, I was actually working for my dad's business. So uh, my dad, this was right around the time my dad was going uh, filing bankruptcy a, bankruptcy a second time and uh, i always wanted to make my dad's business successful like that was my dream i'm like man he's been working all these years i just i want to i want to make that a success for him um so i was really passionate about that i love the idea of business i remember at that time i don't for whatever reason the first business book i listened to was uh donald trump's the art of the deal and like that mm. was the one i was like that's awesome i loved how he just was a opportunity creator and and he was bold and, and, and just took took risk. And, you know, like that that led me on to other better books and um, people to follow. And it was, um, yeah, that, that was really just the start of it. So, like, at that time, I was also working for my dad. And um, I started uh, going to First Free here in, in La Crosse. And uh, through a couple of Bible studies, actually, with Rod Holm, he yep. had a, a, a young, young adults, uh, young adults uh, ministry. And I went to that. And, yeah, great friend, really just um, helped me grow in a lot of ways, especially with business. And then, he connected me with some other business mentors like Dave Twight and Dave Skogan in the area. And uh, just seeing other Christian men that had like were really good at business, like had like the God, God gave them the skill and potential of being great businessmen, but seeing like their passion for using it in a way to serve other people and really to glorify God and just seeing the transformation that they could, you know, they could participate in because they had that business and they, they let the Lord use it. Um, that just really inspired me to, you know, okay, God gave me these gifts to create opportunity, to create wealth, um, you know, some more than others, but like he gave me the skills and desire to do that. So like, what is it, is it for me or is it for, to serve other people? And, um, you know, I finally realized that obviously it's not for me, it's, it's to serve other people. And like, yes, God gave me potential, but that potential isn't to serve myself. So um, seeing these guys carry out that vision and serving other people is just, it, it's so inspiring, so cool. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I, at that time I was, you know, basically, you know, I was, I was meeting with a lot of mentors at that time. I was going through a lot of business coaching programs with, uh, you guys ever heard of Dave Ramsey's Entree Leadership yep. Program? Yep. Um, that was fairly new at the time, and I jumped into that, and that was that was awesome just to almost like renew your mind for all the bad business principles I was using early, you know, growing up. And, you know, nothing against my, my dad's way of starting the company. That, that was, you know, what led to the opportunity I had um, to start my own, and it, I'm extremely grateful for that. He believed in me. You know, it just was a different style of business than what I wanted to do. And, you know, while I was working for him and managing his business, I had other mentors speak in my life and they could see that the way that my vision and the way that I want to grow the business was going to be different than his. And it was always going to kind of clash. Um, so they advised me on, you know, I think you should look at starting your own company rather than trying to grow your dad's and eventually buy his someday. That's how do you make a plan to start your own? And uh, because I was working in manufacturing, that was naturally what I was learning and trying to apply myself towards. So um, I had a mentor that said, you know, I think this contract manufacturing thing it probably has some opportunity. You should look at growing that. And, uh, and you know, that was a, it, it seemed like he had like a fortune. Um, uh, it, it seemed like you could just tell the future at that time because like the, it grew so much mm. in the last seven years and it was a great time to get involved in it. Um, but that, that's essentially how I got started is working in my dad's company that was somewhat related to what we're doing now. It's very different because we're working with a lot of more automated, higher volume uh, more expensive equipment and, and really, I mean, so much of our business is different. I don't think we do a single thing the same way we did when I worked for, for my dad. Um, but I, I got a chance to just cut my teeth and learn 
develop a work ethic and and just uh, learn and apply a lot of really good business principles in those early years. Awesome. Then how did, <clears throat> did when did you what year was it when you bought your first your first plant it, or how did you find the yeah how did I get started yeah. I guess so what I did actually was um, my dad had two sides of his business he had a manufacturing business which I managed yep. very small not profitable like kind of losing money every year and then he had his own products. Um, he, we, we made a transition plan where he was going to keep his own business and, and the part that I was managing, he had a lot of debt on it. So we actually worked out a deal where, um, I was able to manage that and basically inherit the debt that, that he had. And, um, there, there was a lot at the time, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot now, but at the time it was, it was a lot of money and, uh, the business wasn't, it, it wasn't profitable. Like it was probably losing at least a hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, right up to the point when we started our company. So what we did is we. I had a little bit of a runway to, you know, while working for him to build my own customer base, um, pursuing new contracts. I even, I was investing a lot of my own money in equipment at the time so that I could just, um, yeah, I I could start improving what we were doing. And then we had a transition date where I I bought his equipment from him, started my own company. I gave him a small percentage of our, our new business. And then I rented his manufacturing plant from him. Mm. And, uh, we, we did, we had a time we were making his products for him as well. So, it was really it was a it was a great solution and a win-win it provided it wasn't as good as like buying a profitable manufacturing business like that would have been great but it also wasn't as risky as like just starting out day one you have nothing but just spending a lot of money until you hopefully figure it out mm-hmm. um so that i'm really grateful for the way that my dad allowed me to start that you know it wasn't free he didn't give me anything it was like everything was earned but he gave me an opportunity to to work and, and improve something there, so that was really exciting. Um, and that's it's very rare for people in in our industry to start off the way that we did. I mean, like the Lord just provided so many opportunities. Like I can't I can't say it was because of my own ability or work ethic. Like like yes, there's some of that, but it's all God given, and there's just opportunity after opportunity and person mm-hmm. that the Lord put in my life to um, guide me through the the inexperience that I had, and really just a lot of a lot of stupid, just foolishness. You know, you just, when you first start out, it's like, you don't even know what you don't know. And like, that's really dangerous. Cause when you think you like, you're, you have this business strategy and you're like, oh, I should go take out this loan for this machine. It'll work great. Like that, that can be like super disruptive and especially early on. So I was able to, to learn in a way and, and make a lot of mistakes and, and just, you know, learn the business. And you started all of this without debt, correct? No, I, I did take, uh, I did inherit um, some of the debt okay. initially starting out, but we started off with very, very little debt. And then even like we paid that off, like almost in, within the first nine months of starting the okay. company. Um, and then after that, we really, you know, at, at the time I, like I love real estate. So I was, oh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of leverage. You know, yeah. my first, my first investment ever was a duplex. I lived in the upstairs crappy apartment, rented out the downstairs. Oh. And, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's a lot of value in that. Um, also going through the Dave Ramsey program, they really preach, you know, like debt-free business. And I, I saw both the value to both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, for for us, we we took on some debt, we paid it off quickly, and then we really tried to be debt-free um, for the last couple of years. And, you know, currently we're, we're leveraging debt, we're just doing it differently. Um, but like in business, you survive 99% of your ideas. Yeah. Most of your ideas are horrible. And if you scale the wrong idea, it could kill you. And like, that's where Early in in those years, had I used debt, I definitely would have like ha- created a lot of pain. Mm. Um, just with, um, again, I didn't know what I didn't know, and you know, you, I don't think anyone really makes a bad financial decision in business thinking like, well, it just didn't pencil out from the start. Like it always sure. makes sense from the start. There's unknowns that come in that, um, you know, in real estate it's a little bit different. You have predictable tenants and revenue yep. there. Uh, in manufacturing, it's you, there's so many more variables to it. Um, so we, we really leveraged just not using debt. It forced us to be more creative. You know, uh, constraints are the breeding ground for creativity. And uh, not, I mean, you, you will answer the question you're asking yourself. If you're looking to start a business with, you know, how do I build a half a million dollar manufacturing line and how do I use it with debt? Like you'll find an answer for that question. If you answer the, if you ask the, the, uh, the question differently of how do I create that same capacity or that same solution without using any debt, like oftentimes you'll come up with an answer for that. And that was really to our benefit. It forced us to be more profitable, more creative. We were buying and selling and flipping equipment so that we could kind of upgrade into that, that nicer, newer line. Um, in our industry, it, it's you know similar to real estate. There's a lot of um, undesirable assets. And especially in our industry, there's less buyers for equipment. Yeah. 
um, which was great, which means you, usually you find a way better deal on stuff than, or you have the potential to, than you could in something like, you know, cars or something that's a little bit more, uh, there's more demand for that kind of a thing. So that, that through a series of just hustling, buying and flipping, being creative, we were able to build, um, you know, went from like old crappy manufacturing lines and like slowly upgrading and upgrading and upgrading. And, and now today it's just, uh, it's just amazing to see what the Lord's, Lord's done in through our, through our company. So what are some sacrifices that you had to make to start that? Because I, I can't imagine that's a normal thing for a manufacturing business to do, to operate with very little debt because yeah. a lot of those machinery and automations is a ton of money, right? right it definitely is. I yeah. can go open up a real estate office out of a coffee shop and meet with clients sure. and start selling houses and like build my business off of that. But to manufacture, there's a ton of overhead, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, so what are some sacrifices that you had to make early on with the mindset knowing that I don't want to take on all this mm-hmm. debt? I, man, that's a good question. Um, man, I think there's there's a value to being frugal. Like like I said, the first, you know, I got into real estate early and I never got into big, like, you know, most people, but it's just, you know, I bought a duplex. I had a very low cost of living drove a very cheap car, you know, a couple thousand bucks. I never had anything, you know, really flashy. Um, but you know, like my first house is a duplex. My second house is a $60,000 foreclosure. Love and it. like, you know, I, I had a lot of room to fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, that's, I think like the value of being frugal is it allows you to take on more risk, especially in those early years. There's, there's many times where I would be going to, dr- I was driving to like, you know, somewhere to pick up this piece of equipment I found. And it would be like a $40,000 piece of equipment with like a $2,500 truck. <laughs> and I, I'm glad I'm out of that season, but like there was a lot of value just being uh, scrappy and lean at that time. It allowed us to take, uh, we could take more risk because we weren't, and, and because I started, um, my wife and I were just one year married, which it was, Sarah's amazing for even letting me do the things that we did. Um, and crazy supportive and just none of that would be possible without, without an amazing spouse. Mm. Um, but just, you know, we, we were very frugal. We didn't have a lot of people depending on me. And that, that's one of the things I love about, like, if I could, if I was going to advise anyone, I think it, it is great to start a business when you're in your twenties. Like you can, you have time and like, mm-hmm. man, the older you get, you have less time available. You have more obligations. Um, if you take on a project and you're like, man, this is going to take way more time or more money. Like you can, you can literally just, you know, provide sweat equity and get yourself out of it where that's not as easy later in life. And and we definitely, we definitely use all those resources and time we had in the early years. Yeah. I, I think it's come up on more than half the shows of the importance of buying an owner occupied duplex, living in one mm-hmm. unit, living debt free. Like that was my story early on. Same deal. Mm-hmm. Lived in the top unit in my duplex, renovated it. It was not nice, but it wasn't a dump either, but I was able to build equity into it, basically live for free, no consumer debt, no car loans, no student loans. And that's what gave me the ability to really go at business. Right. And I wasn't married at the time. So I I knew I could fail. And if I had to go do a couple landscaping jobs and make a few hundred dollars to yeah. pay for my groceries, I could. But right. that that was my risk, right? Yes. And I wasn't at risk of losing my house. I, I didn't have any payments or people that I needed that mm-hmm. depended on me to support them. So, man, I could not agree more with that. And yeah. that sa- same story for me. So That's a really good point, though, because it's so counterintuitive of when you're young. Yeah. If if you aspire to do something bigger, that's the time to, do, to sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. In a lot of ways, yeah. But when we're young, that's when we don't want to sacrifice. Right. Sometimes we just don't have like the maturity or the the life intelligence to be yeah. able to do so. And right. dude, that's the time to do it. Like that's mm-hmm. when you have time. Like that's so important. Yeah. And I don't know this to be fact because I'm 26 years old, but <laughs> I've seen that people who have people say, "Oh, I used to have the drive you do. Or I used to have mm. that hustle and that motivation that you do." And and I don't know if that's lost over time or not, but I know I got it now. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah, I, sure. I don't know if I'm going to have it when I'm 50 years old and, God forbid, have kids. And you know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't know that I'm going to have the same drive to succeed in business sure. at that time. So, man, leverage that. And I have friends that want to do what we're doing now, and they're 40, 50 years old, and they have families. Yeah. And, they have a big house and they have nice cars and it just, it, it adds much more complexity to yeah. the situation to be able to do that, a ton more risk. So man, start young. And that's, we, we talked about it on 
the last episode with Bruce and so many people go to college, mm -hmm. which there's nothing wrong with. No. Get a job making 40, 50 grand a year. What's the first thing they do? Go buy a brand new truck. First big yep. boy purchase, first big girl purchase, brand new car at the dealership, smiling, holding the papers. Next thing, they go get the luxury apartment downtown. You got a $750 car payment and a $1,500 uh, rent. Yeah, rent. right. You're, you're, you're 2,500 bucks into it and you haven't even started paying for groceries or for your to go to college. So, man, those those first couple of years are really crucial. But that's good. And I love low that. Low overhead, low risk. I'm. I started out listening to Dave Ramsey as well, and mm -hmm. um, same deal. It's like some. I don't. I don't believe in paying cash for rental properties, but living debt free, consumer wise, no consumer debt. Absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's uh. And plus, I mean, like the first, if you want to be in business and you want to learn how to run a business, like buying a duplex is a great way to learn how to like screen tenants, manage people, like you know. It, not that it's, uh, I have a different standard for screening tenants than I would for hiring team members, yeah. but it definitely gives you the ability and the skill to like just read people. Um, and like, I, I'd, I'd say if you do have a rental property, treat it as a business, like don't, you know, and I, I've been guilty of this, so I shouldn't, you know, I'm not going to act like I'm guiltless in this, but like having the shoebox full of receipts at the end of the yeah. year, just throwing it to the bookkeeper, like, you know, run it like a business, make a P&L, make a plan, keep it organized, keep it managed. And like, that's, I mean, a lot of a lot of the skills I have is is has been you know started with with that that really just that thinking of how do you find something undervalued and create opportunity out of it and just yep. do that on a small level, be faithful with that, and you'll be entrusted with more. And it's uh, yeah, I'm huge fan of huge fan of owner occupied duplexes, especially young guys, women starting out. Yep. Yeah, I think it's it's great. It's uh, I think most business people think of like you're such a risk taker, and it's like well, most of it's actually like I'm really good at mitigating risk. Yep. And like, because you're good at mitigating risk, you can take on more risk. And that's mm -hmm. where um, risk is a good thing if you, if you understand the, the pitfalls of it and you can manage it. Yeah, love that. Let's talk more on vibrancy. I really like the point you made of, you know, you have that fire and drive when you're young. Now, I, I think I think you can continue to have that drive. I yeah. think the, the bummer, in, and this goes way beyond business. This goes into marriage. This goes into your relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I've heard over and over and over again when I was getting when I was engaged and about to get married, my least favorite thing ever was, "Well, enjoy it now." <laughs> or like, "Oh boy, uh, you're still in the honey honeymoon." I said, uh, like that would just something in me was not okay with that. It was like, in a crass way, I suppose it was like, "Well, I'm so sorry that like you're in an unhappy marriage." Yeah, but just because that's what what happens, or that's how people feel. Like we almost expect that that's what it has to be for everybody. And we normalize losing that like gumption, that gur, that yeah. fire within. We do it with business. We do it with marriage. We do it in our faith of, oh, when you get older, just, no. well, maybe that's because of actions that we take. Yeah. Maybe I stop understanding what's my purpose and what's my why in business. So yeah. when I lose my gur for business. Mm -hmm. Maybe I stop, maybe one of us in our marriage stopped pursuing each other and loving each other the same way we pursued each other before. Right. And maybe that's why you lost a little bit of fire in your marriage. Maybe I'm not spending the same amount of time in like meditating and spending time in the presence of the Lord as much as I was when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why I'm losing some of my fire for the Lord. Yeah, I think yeah, you chose the option of losing it. I can continue to have that fire and that gur. Yeah. I think it changes. I think our vibrancy changes. We become wiser and we become more intelligent as we go on in life, right? life as a great teacher we become more mature yeah so it looks different right when i was like a young new believer i made some mistakes but it was out of passion and love i think the lord had grace for it because it's yeah like, all right what you did uh, okay that was a bit much but <laughs> i under like it was out of love for me got right. it so i stopped making some of like those mistakes but that fire and that vibrancy we lose it and we become okay with it because we just say, well, that's just normal. Right. It's not normal. It's choices. Yeah. Belief drives action. If you believe that, your actions will follow. For sure. Hundred yeah. percent. And where? So for you and your business, <laughs> mm -hmm. obviously you're passionate about it. Have you seen any changes in like what, like now owning the business now being like years down mm -hmm. the road? Is your not questioning whether or not your passion's still there? Yeah. Like, have you seen like a shift on? I still have this passion, but has it like shifted away from oh, like, that's good. some things? Like it has it shifted more towards like employees, the customer, the brand? Mm -hmm. Like has it changed a little bit? No, that's a good question. I think um, I think when you, uh, one thing I've noticed is like when you first start off in business or real estate or whatever like role or career that you're in, oftentimes like more can be a really good motivator. And it's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but like 
you know, like, what's your vision bigger? You know, like, I, I want it bigger. I want more. And I, I, that can be that can be good to a point, but eventually you get to the point where you're just chasing more and more and more. And like to, and I have a friend that has a business coaching program and he talks about like uh, the idea of like, you know, 10Xing something is not a solution. Like yeah. it's, it, it's a, like if it's not defined what you're trying to grow, then it, you're just growing it just for the sake of growth. And yeah. um, for what shall it profit a man if he, loses his soul, gains the whole world but loses his own soul and like that's like by definition what that is um so what i found is like you know for me the more that i double down on what is my mission really what is the impact i'm making from an eternal standpoint that carries my motivation far more than that initial drive ever did um i've seen you know areas in my life and in, in leadership where i was motivated for more and building it bigger and faster and um you know whatever whatever more was and uh, I've definitely seen where drive has dropped off after achieving something and seeing the finish line move a few times. You start to lose a little bit more. Um, I guess you have a little less drive, a little less more gumption. But when you really tie it to something meaningful that's lasting, like that's where I, I think the key is mm-hmm. uh, just to give yourself a longer you know, runway of motivation, I guess. Yeah. Start with why. Yeah, that's good. You have to. Yeah, for sure. So... So your plant is in Mabel, Minnesota. Right? We have we have two plants. Two so plants. We have one in Leroy, one okay. in Mabel. We started our first one was in Mabel. Yeah. Okay. When are you going to come to the right side of the river? You know, I it's always <laughs> it's always up for debate. Um, no, we love the plants that are in our communities now, and if if it, part of our vision is that we really want to grow and and multiply what we're doing in those plants yeah. in more communities, so we wouldn't be picking up and moving. But you know, our vision is to keep those plants thriving and just dupl- replicate what we're doing there. Yeah. In more facilities. So Mabel, Minnesota is not necessarily the the metropolitan no, not. part of yes. Minnesota. So Definitely how many? Not. What's the population? It's 700, 700 people. Seven hundred. So yeah, we're a little bit more than that. Okay. No, so it is small. How do you how do you find good employees in a town in a rural area that small? Team of thirty five people. That's that's a significant portion of the entire yeah. population of the town, right? So right. how do you it's find fifty percent of Mabel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that. I mean, yeah. it's uh. No, I, I mean, well, most of the people don't actually, they're not from Mabel. Like, I, okay. I live in town there, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's in rural communities, like, you have people driving from yeah. every direction to get to that to that area. Um, but, I mean, how to find good employees, man, I think it's, it, is it tough because of our location? I'd say yes, but also no. Like, um, in the early years, it was a little challenging. We had to get creative. Um, we, you know, for us, like, our business runs on people working very fast and very hard. And uh, most of American culture is not brought up that way. So for us, we were, we were in Amish country. Um, so, and we had really good connections with a lot of the Amish families. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so in the early years of our business, it was like a lot of Amish women working in our plants. Cause like women are just faster than men at like small, like you think of like repetitive tasks. They're just yeah. more, um, men are clumsy. It's just the way God created us. We're, we're, we're built to do big and heavy things. And, and women are just very quick and intricate and they can just, they can sit there capping bottles on the line and just have a conversation where like we'd be sweating like just to keep up, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so those early years we relied a lot on, on Amish labor. We provided rides for them and we just found ways that when we didn't have the ability to post a really high competitive wage to compete with the quick trips of the world or other manufacturing plants is like, we just had to get creative. What other ways can we provide value for these people? And it was, you know, finding opportunities for people that couldn't get a job otherwise or otherwise. And also, um, for either religious reasons or, or whatever, whatever obstacles it was, we, we removed those obstacles, provided a really great culture for them to work at where they were treated well. And like, that's worth a lot to people. So like in the early years, it was that we, we found a lot of employees through, through that, uh, demographic. And then it was just, you know, church families, friends. I mean, when you're first growing a business, it's like your first hires are always, your best hires are through the people, you know, and, uh, the, you know, just networking, trying to get word of mouth referrals. As we've grown though, we've had to get more creative. So you know, one of the strategies we've we've done that's been successful, I guess we do on Indeed, we post on Indeed, LinkedIn, um, your general job posting sites. Like we have a very low success rate for hiring people that our culture fits through that. Um, in, instead, for us, it's always like word of mouth referrals. So we do bonuses for team members. Refer someone, we'll pay you three to five hundred bucks depending on the position. Um, that's worked out really well. And then we even we recruit a lot from like other churches. So, you know, like when we, we were just opening up our second plant, our Mabel plant again, we was shut down the last year just for storage and we're reopening that. And like, we had a lot of success um, working with, you know, you think of most, most food plants are filled with immigrant workers. You know, that's just the reality. Americans, um, for right or wrong, don't have that work ethic anymore. And a lot, there's a lot of immigrant workers that 
you know, whether it's language barrier or whatever it is, they, they're, they're great workers, they have a great work ethic. And if you can provide the right environment for them, they can really thrive. And uh, we found that to be true last year when we were trying to recruit people. So we, we went to a Spanish speaking church uh, mm. near one of our plants and, you know, had a couple of flyers translated in, in Spanish. And we're like, well, we don't, we don't speak Spanish. And like everyone's, you know, every, everyone on our team was, was concerned, rightfully so. Like I probably am the optimist and like diminishing, like it's not going to be that hard. Uh, I mean, extremely difficult, but uh, it was totally worth it. We were able to recruit um, just a great couple of families from that cool. church and, you know, really establish a pipeline. And that's what we do a lot of just kind of grassroots reaching out to people that would share the same values that we share. And uh, we've had a lot of success with that. That's awesome. So how did how did you get into supplements? Was it yeah. was your goal to do supplements? Yes. Otherwise, it's like manufacturing. It's like that's a great question. Oh gosh, a thousand options. Which one do I choose? Man, that's <laughs> a great question. So when I, we first started out, like um, we had very low budget, very low you know overhead and ability to um, produce things that that took more regulatory requirements. So like supplements and food, for very good reasons, are expensive barriers to entry. Um, you want to be able to, you know, you want to be sure that the product you're buying and feeding your kid is safe. Um, there's a lot of quality programs that are very expensive quality. You need a full-time quality director if you're going to produce food and supplements. Mm-hmm. So early on, we didn't have that. So we had to produce other products. I always wanted to produce supplements and food, like products that we really, we see a lot of value in that people can be proud of, like going in the store and seeing it on a shelf and knowing that they produce that is really cool. Um, but early on, it was, you know, we just, we had uh, three or three pieces of equipment, essentially, and we just, our business strategy, which was good initially was, let's take everything that people bring us that we can make money on. <laughs> you know, like, let's just say yes to everything and just commit and figure it out. And um, that was successful to gain exposure and to discover what you could be good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a great like ongoing business strategy, but you know that's what we did. So we produced a lot of like topical lotions. We did, you know, it was like bath salts. Um, we did a lot of, we, we produced... Uh, foot powder for the number one uh, seller on Amazon for natural foot powders and like just you know just things like that and and uh, in 2019 when we started the company um, CBD was like just gaining a lot of traction and popularity so a lot of bigger manufacturers were kind of freaked out by it because the government didn't have like a regulation on what they're how they're going to treat CBD where we looked at it and we're like well it's not mind altering um, you know it, it's it's legal to produce it uh, no one else wants to, so like that's that's producer. This is aligned mm-hmm. with our values. There's nothing like we're not morally compromising on anything by doing it. Um, so we started producing CBD tinctures for a couple brands. We made some pain creams that went into some larger retailers, and um, that you know like kind of little by little we started shifting towards our long-term vision of supplements. Um, but that first year we we you know we took on anything that we could. We optimized our customer base. We you know we rode a couple high-demand markets with CBD. Um, we had customers that went out of business as quickly as they went into business because they couldn't fulfill retail orders. They were in, we had a lot of unpaid bills initially with a CBD bubble burst at the end of 2019. Um, fortunately, we were able to navigate through that with some help of some mentors. And um, yeah, then 2020 hit, um, most of our volume went down with existing customers and we were looking at, okay, how do we pivot? What's in need right now? And at the time, everyone thought hand sanitizer was going to save their life. And they just had toilet paper and hand sanitizer. People were drinking that. <laughs> Pretty much, right? I mean, it was uh, it was crazy. So, like, that was in super high demand. And uh, it, at the time, I never experienced anything like it. It was just anyone who can bottle this stuff, really? do it. And, you know, so we, we pivoted to just bottling hand sanitizer in, like, early March. And I looked at all of our customers. I'm like, okay. These ones, their sales volume dropped. Um, these ones over here, I, 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 we worked with every customer and like going like, okay, who can we prioritize? How can we help someone else find another manufacturer? And we're going to go all in on hand sanitizer. Mm. Um, so we did. We rode that wave. We did very well with it. It created a, I mean, we leveraged the good luck, as Jim Collins would call it. Like it just completely out of our control. The opportunity came and we were flexible and ready to pivot on it. Mm. Um, so we produced like a, th- and it was like three to four million bottles of hand sanitizer in six months. Uh, we had our own brand of hand sanitizer that we sold in uh, different, you know, festival supermarkets and, and other just stores across the Midwest, which was cool. It was like a three-month brand, so like we intentionally <laughs> ended it before the bubble burst. Um, we even had this one customer that they they like scheduled out two weeks of the production with us. A small plant, um, and this is what, one of the things like our company values is problem solver. So we see problems as opportunities. The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. And in business, you are paid to solve a problem. Like mm-hmm. that's pretty core business fundamental. Um, but for us, we really wanted like all of our team members to really look at problems with excitement and think like, okay, how can we solve this? What kind of opportunities behind this? 
and really, you know, not look at it as a frustration, but just as an opportunity, a good thing. And uh, one of our customers, they they shipped us like, it was like three truckloads of product, which at the time filled up our plant. And they're like, okay, we're gonna run two weeks of production with you guys. So we're telling every other customer like, no, we can't bottle your stuff. No, we're gonna, we're focused on this. And then like last minute, they called us and like, hey, our customer canceled our order. We're not gonna produce any of that. We're gonna have you guys hold it for a week. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, mm. dude, we literally committed like weeks. Like we said no to so many orders. Like what, you know, it's so frustrating and like makes you like want to rip your hair out and like yell at the guy. And, you know, fortunately after becoming a believer, like I, I had more patience and, you know, I was like, okay, well, what can we do here? What, how could this be an opportunity? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just tapped my network of people that I developed over the first few years of the business. Um, in, in the early years, I'd reach out to every manufacturer I could, everyone that was doing what we were doing and just introduce myself. Hey, what are your needs? What do you guys do? And just try to develop a relationship. And um, I relied a lot on those contacts I built early on. And we found um, one company out of Madison, Wisconsin, that sells a lot of cleaning products in like Menards and hardware stores across the U.S. And uh, they were like, okay, you know, Ace Hardware needs 30,000 bottles of this, you know, gallons of this liquid sanitizer, which is just hilarious that we were selling that at that time. Um, I think everyone regrets using hand sanitizer now that they go into a store and it's like the worst smelling stuff ever because they're still burning through that old inventory. Um, but, you know, we actually, so we found a customer. They, Ace is like, okay, we'll take all 30,000 if you can produce in the next week or two. And then we had to negotiate with the customer like, okay, like you need to help us get out of this mess. I can buy all this inventory from you. And we, we turned, created a brand and flipped it all within like three weeks. And it was like wow. one of the most, like one of the most exciting, fun opportunities we ever had. Um, and I mean, there's more and more stories like that, but that was just one example of how we, uh, yeah, created an opportunity out of a problem. And so cool. that was one of the most like profitable months we had, even, you know, that was the second year of business when, you know, we've grown a lot since then and it was still a, it was still a big win for us. So that was yeah. great. So Ben, how do all these different products that mm -hmm. you're creating, I imagine one machine does not make all of these. So no, no. Like, what does it take to set up for a different product from hand sanitizer to supplements? Mm. Can you use similar machinery or do you have to buy all new machinery or yeah. develop a whole new line? What does that process look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there were some similar machines we had that we could repurpose. We obviously had to like rebuild a lot of them as we pivoted out of hand sanitizer. You know, we grew into our second location and, you know, grew quite a bit. And all of our hand sanitizer contracts ended within two weeks of mm -hmm. moving into that second plant. So, you know, we had, we had to pivot multiple times as we grew. But, yeah, we just re-engineered a lot of the, the equipment we have. So, like, now our core competencies are we do a lot of stick packs, which you've ever, like, seen, like, hydration or electrolytes. Yeah. Um, we produce for a lot of fast-growing brands there. And that's, like, very specific, unique equipment. Um, with that, like, that capability, like, the very first machine we bought was, like, a two-lane little Asian built machine. My wife and I flew out to California and it was in like the back of this office complex. And, you know, I'm like running to Home Depot with like a rental Penske trailer, getting like wood and pallets to build a crate so we can ship it out. And like, we did a lot of scrappy things like that. And then, um, you know, with, with our liquid products, we, we just started rebuilding them and repurposing them for other products. So, um, you know, we do stick packs, we do a lot of powder containers, we package a lot of protein powder. Um, so that has a very specific type of equipment. Um, and then we also do a lot of liquid supplements that you see in like Target, Walgreens, CVS, um, cough syrups, like immune spray products, things like that. Um, so, you know, some of the equipment is similar in some ways. And, we, you know, we just, as you grow, you, you, we, I did a lot of buying and selling of equipment. So we would buy equipment before we would need it when it was a deal and then find a use for it later. Um, now we've kind of grown to the point where we're, we're buying higher quality stuff and, you know, more and more new stuff than we did before. But a lot, it's just a process of over the course of, you know, four or five years of learning about what different equipment exists, um, building an acumen for it, and then just identifying opportunities that would align with those assets. And is that something that you had the skill of knowing how to change the machines and stuff like that? Or no, that man, no, not at all. So okay. like when I was a kid, like all my friends, like their their dads were mechanics. And like when I was like 13, like my dad made lotions. So like <laughs> my, all the, my friends would make fun of me because I didn't know what an alternator was. And it's like, guys, you have a, a, a very distinct advantage over me in this area. You know? So like I was very like embarrassed growing up. Like I didn't know much about mechanics. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a natural engineer at all. Um, we have some amazing engineers on our team. Um, Thor, one of the guys we've hired, like, he, you know, talk about an example of hiring someone to do something you're not good at, like great engineer, phenomenal, way better than I could ever be. But I, I did have to, in the early years before we could afford that, I did have to learn an acumen for it. And it was just, 
you know, I was passionate about what we were doing and that kind of just filled in the gaps of the knowledge I didn't have. You know, I relied a lot on talking to other people that knew what they were doing on it and like, okay, just teach me. I know nothing. Like, what do I need to do? And just like, I think just drive and passion kind of filled in the gaps of what I needed to do to at least get the business started. Great. So when I go, when I go, when somebody goes shopping, what's like your, your most known, right? We know, yeah. man, I st- I'm at festival, I'm at Target. Mm-hmm. Ben made this, yeah. package this product. What's <laughs> yeah. like the big one? So like the, the trouble is like in our business, a lot of brands have like confidentiality agreements, yes. so we can't like broadcast it. But if you go into like Target, Walgreens, when we're off this podcast, I'll, I'll share a few brands that you'd, you'd recognize, but we do a lot of stuff and uh, we, we actually do one product that we can share. We're, we're doing all of, uh, Walgreens, like if you've ever seen like a neti pot mm-hmm. and like there's a little salt packet. So like just next week, we're actually starting the project where we're going to be producing all of like Walgreens and CVS's like salt packets for that, which is like super off the wall. You would never think of that, but like that's a huge need for yeah. a manufacturer to produce that. Um, so that's one example, but you can see a lot of the brands that we produce for and, and major retailers. Cool. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, this question wasn't on the list, but it just kind of popped into my mind here. So a manufacturing business is like, crazy operation heavy being yeah. efficient in what you're doing mm-hmm. um like efficiency has got to be key with, yeah for with sure profitability right yeah so how do you go about ensuring your employees know exactly what to do and when and how fast i think um for us we we built the plane as we were taking off okay <laughs> we were we were learning as we go and this is where a lot of my team members and, and guys on my leadership team are excellent at this I'm not that good at it. Okay. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at like going in and experimenting with something and like problem solving and collaborating. But I'm, I'm not. I, I've learned to become a process guy. I'm not naturally that. Okay. Um. So we have a quality director, Josh, that joined us a couple of years ago. Phenomenal guy. Like really, he he owns a lot of the quality, making sure that what we're producing is safe. Um. We have a guy named uh, Tim Scarron, a great plant leader. He's HR. He does a lot of quality processes and things like that. Develops those processes like super detail oriented and really has a appreciation for things being right and uh and, and that's you really need people like that on your yeah. team so they've they've helped us build that helped me build an appreciation for that and um that's really where you know a lot of the new projects we start off with though there is a there's an experimental phase it's yeah. you know like if you buy a new machine that someone might train you on it but there's still like you got to be the expert of that machine you can't you can't outsource that expertise awesome yeah that's really cool say there's somebody they're in their early 20s. Yeah. They have that desire to be an entrepreneur, to grow. Maybe it's not manufacturing. Maybe it's not real estate. They have a desire to start a business. What, what's step one for them? Man, I think um, step one, I mean, you know, the reality is, is like you you can chase something for the wrong reason. And like I, I'm going to tell everyone, like for me, the reason why we were, we had success in business that in, in a way that it was meaningful, like from an internal standpoint is because I got my heart right with Jesus. And until I made him, you know, until I allowed him to be Lord of my life, like none of it would have been worthwhile. It would have been all for selfish gain. Um, your business and career is so short compared to eternity. And if you're not doing things that, I mean, if you're, if you're building a business or success for reasons you're going to regret later in life, like what's the point of even starting? Um, so I, that's, that would be where I would start off with. And beyond that, I think it's just, if you, if you do have a relationship with Christ, I think just Think about the need that's out there for really good business, Christian business owners, Christian leaders. Like there's a, like the opportunity is endless for there to be improvements in how we lead and develop people. Um, and I think that the more you can just really develop a, a vision for your life on what that could look like, you know, praying through that vision, make it visceral, make it emotional. I'm like, what kind of impact do you want to have in your life? I think if you have a really clear vision on where you want to go and it's something that's it's big, it's faith-filled, it's been prayed through, and it's aligned with what God's calling is on your life, like, the answers just come naturally. Like, the strategy for the how-tos, it just, it, when you know where you're going and you believe you're on the right track or that you're going to get there, like, the the decisions and actions are just obvious after that. Mm. Yeah, I found that to be so true as well. So where do you, so you said, you know, where you're going. So what are, you know, next three years, five years, ten years, like, yeah. Where do you hope your your business to go or mm. business or personal life? Where do you see yourself in the next? Man, I appreciate that. I think, um, yeah, for us, we, we have a very specific vision charter for our company of like what specific things we're trying to att- attain in the next three years. Um, and for us, we, we really focus, like, yes, size is a part of it, but that's not everything. We really want to build a team of people, a team of lean leaders that understand lean manufacturing, which is what we're in, but also just like leaders that really transformational leaders, people that can invest in 
in, in production level employees often are either young or there's um, some kind of challenge in their life of why they're in production level or they've had a rough go at it and they're, they're still in a production entry level. So like, man, the opportunity to lead people mm -hmm. and care for them and love for them um, is huge. And we really, our, our vision is to build a team of people that can really um, just facilitate transformation in those people's lives through loving, caring for them, leading, coaching them. And like, that's first and foremost. And, and really the, the vision for us is that we want to be able to create a process processes around how do we do business creating an economic engine in a facility um how do we how do we develop people how do we, how can we really lead transformation in that way and we want to duplicate that in other facilities across the midwest mm. um, we want to have more than one facility and we think that we can you know with the right leadership you can i mean man the opportunity is endless you can you can really make an impact in more ways than just financial that's awesome mm -hmm. i love that do you have any stories that come to mind of how you've been able to make an impact and man, i love that employees thank you I, this is one that i was thinking about this morning <laughs> and um so we have uh we have, we have one of our team members um you know she's in a season of life that doesn't allow her to be um as physically active and our plants require people to be on their feet working fast and when we first hired her we you know that was a, con a concern that we both had you know like you know are you going to be able to have the energy to carry it forward and and uh, we were able to, it's so cool. We were, we were able to, I mean, she just committed and she stuck with it. It was really difficult for her. And eventually we found that like, she has a really amazing gift for quality. Mm. So we put her on like one of our highest lines and like we need a full-time quality person watching. And she will watch thousands of bottles and she'll pick one with like just the smallest defect in the plastic of the cap. And it's like, like she'll have a table of like rejects that she's pulling and I'll go over and they're like, what are all these rejected for? Like, these look fine to me. And she like puts it under an LED light and shows me this little <laughs> fleck. And I'm like, I don't know how the heck he found that, but that's amazing. Like, it's just incredible that like God created potential in every single person. Like, I'm not more important than anyone else just because I own the business or because I'm in a leadership position. Like, everyone is important. God created them intentionally and with a lot of potential. And I think that when we realize that, that really, um, it, it gives me a lot of excitement for like, how do we develop people and really see totally. people. Um, but one, with that specific individual, there was one morning, we do morning huddles where we use to develop our team members, teach them you know, about our values, our mission, and we'll, we'll go into detail on like how the business works. So um, one of the things I'm really passionate about is like having a transparent like financial model for the business. I want people on the production level to understand like how much money do we make on this bottle? What's our cost? What's labor? Like what do we actually make when we produce something? Because the more that they understand and are equipped with how our business works financially like the more we should be able to succeed and be able to uh, make improvements and they can make decisions faster and i got done doing this huge talk and like you know afterwards we, we break and everyone goes to the lines and i'm going to check in on, on people and i i'm seeing um her so i go, I go up to her and I'm like oh like how are you doing and, and she's got tears strolling down her face and i'm like oh no like what did i did i say something stupid like what did she mishear me what what happened there and i was like what what's what's wrong are you okay and she said I've never worked in a place where they will trust us with that information. Every other factory I've worked in, they if you touch a machine that's broken, you get yelled at. Mm -hmm. They don't trust you. They, they they view us as numbers and they don't, you know, in a sense it was just it was one of the most like emotionally stirring things ever. And that wasn't even like the point of that talk wasn't to validate her as a person, but it's just it's incredible to see how just things happen when you treat people the way that God would treat them when you see the potential in them that God created in them. And I, I think just when you love people and you're a good leader, you can, you can make an impact anywhere you're at. You don't have to be the biggest company in the world. There's people in your unique sphere of influence that you can touch in a way that other people just can't. Mm. And that's one of the things I love about business is because people spend more time at work than they do at church. And like, you you can do more creative things with people at work than you can in almost any area of their life, mm. and uh, it's just it's such a powerful tool if you view it as a missional a missional tool for for the Lord to work in. Yeah, what a blessing, man! That yeah. is so cool. Well, yeah, I've loved 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 hearing your heart, and um, yeah, it's been an awesome 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 conversation. So. Yeah. So Ben, to end with, uh, if there's one thing that our listeners you want them to take mm. away from this episode, what would that be? Man, I think. Um, I mean, there's so many things, but I think just going back to the vision piece, like if you, if your vision for your life is aligned with God's purpose for your life, like spend time on clarifying what does that look like? What's the type of leader that the Lord wants you to become, the kind of impact that you want to create? And like out of that, like make your action plan for how to get there. Um, like, yes, there's a lot of strategies. I'm like, you know, finding mentors, surrounding yourself with good people. But I think it all starts with that. Like, who does God want you to be? 
you have a relationship with him and create a vision out of that. Yeah. Love it, man. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much awesome. for, for thanks, coming guys. on coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's been awesome. And yeah, uh, thanks for the product that, yes. that we now have in the house. And thank you for I'll, the support. I'll, I'll keep my, my eyes out for the, the <laughs> neti pot neti neti pot salts coming out. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, I'll send you some of those. Sir. Yeah. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you, Ben? Um, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Just follow and Ben Stewart. Um, that's where I, I spend most of my time if I'm posting any other content or or things that listeners could benefit from on LinkedIn. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate right. you being here. We'll, we'll link your stuff below. But yeah, again, thank you so much for, for being here and for being you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We sincerely hope that you found value in today's episode and heard one thing that you can take back and implement into your life today. As always, we appreciate your support and hope you can find a way this week to pay it forward.